Thanks for listening to the Northridge Christian Podcast. At Northridge, we exist to help people move closer to Christ. We believe that following Jesus is a journey, and we want to help you through that journey any way we can. We pray that you grow in your walk with God through this message today. So prepare your heart and mind for this teaching by our discipleship pastor, Adam Scott. Good morning, everybody. Whether you're tuning in online or you're here in person with us, I'm excited that you're here so that together we can launch a brand new series. Okay, today's brand new series is something that we're calling Thanks Living. You see, I think a lot of you are probably thinking, I believe it's pronounced Thanksgiving. And that's how we started this. You see, we gathered together and we said, let's, let's talk about Thanksgiving. Let's figure out what God wants to say to his people in this place But as we dove into that, we realized that Thanksgiving is a holiday. Thanksgiving is a gathering. It's an event. It's a break from the norm. And that's not what we're wanting to talk about. You see, instead, we decided to call it Thanks Living because Thanks Living is not a break from the norm. Thanks Living is a new lifestyle. It's a new attitude. It's a new normal that's going to define us from this day forward. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Listen, throughout this series, that's our goal. Our goal is that we as a body of believers would come together and we would be marked by gratitude. Not a shallow, superficial gratitude, but I'm talking a deep gratitude that transforms our lives and brings us closer to Jesus than we've ever been before. I want you to look at somebody sitting next to you and say, I'm going to outthink you this month. (laughs) It wasn't terribly strong, but we're going to count it, okay? I'm going to outthink you this month. See, we got competition all around us, right? Everywhere we look, there's competition. That's the kind of competition that we're going to be striving for as a church, that we are going to make thanksgiving, gratitude, a huge part of our lives in this season and beyond. How many of you like to push buttons? Anybody? Okay, a lot of you agree into that. I think a lot of you are misunderstanding what I'm saying, okay? I'm not talking about pushing the buttons of your spouse or of your sibling or of your roommate, okay? Let me show you what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this right here, (laughs) pushing all the buttons, okay? Like pushing all of the buttons. We're surrounded by buttons all the time. Everywhere we look, from the minute we wake up until the minute we go to bed, they're screaming to be pushed. We've got coffee makers. Man, if you don't push that button, your day is not going to happen, right? you got to push that button so that you can begin your day. We've got garage door openers. We've got TV remotes. We've got vending machines. We've even got buttons that you can push to tell somebody you liked what they posted on social media. You see, buttons, they, they give us control. Buttons put us in the driver's seat, or so it seems. You see, I'm convinced that there are some buttons in our lives that exist to create the illusion of control when there is no control to be had. Let me show you a couple examples of this. Okay, this is the first one right here. How many of you have been downtown and wasted countless hours banging on this button waiting for an opportunity to cross the street? You get madder and madder, and I'm convinced this is just an outlet for your rage. Like, it doesn't do anything, but it gives you something to focus your anger on. Or what about this one right here? Okay, I want to close the door of the elevator before my boss gets here. Okay, I see them coming from a distance. They're trying to get me to hold it. I'm going to pretend like I'm pressing the button to keep it open, but really I'm hammering on that button to close it so I don't have to have this awkward interaction. 
You see, I think some of the buttons in our lives exist just to create that illusion of control when really they don't accomplish anything at all. Sometimes the illusion of control is really all we can hope for in this life. You see, take the election, for example. You see, a lot of you went to the polling place and you pressed a button for either a local candidate, a state candidate, or a federal candidate, and you said, I'm going to push the button to take control. My vote matters. But now, all of a sudden, maybe one of your candidates didn't win, and and you're starting to think, man, I tried to take control, but the results were simply out of my hands. Or what about the virus? What wouldn't you give for a button that would push everything back to the way it was before? Man, I would love that. I would hammer on that button just like it was this button right here. I was walking up and down the hallway this morning. Lights were on. There were people in here, but there's nobody in the hallway. So you know what I did? I took off my mask. (laughs) And I just walked down the hallway and pretended like everything was normal. Like I was about to shake a thousand hands. I was about to hug people's neck, but we just can't do that in this season. I wish there was a button that would put it all back. Maybe for you it's something more personal, an area that that feels out of control. Maybe it's a broken or a failing relationship. Maybe it's a financial disaster. Maybe it's an internal struggle, or maybe it's something altogether different. Listen, in seasons like this, I I think we can all agree that our lives are marked by anything but gratitude. Fear, absolutely. Uncertainty, you bet. Helplessness, yep, we've got a lot of that. But gratitude is nowhere near the top of the list. But that's why I want to kick the series off this way. Seasons marked by discomfort and uncertainty are the perfect primers for gratitude. Why? Because comfortable people don't need Jesus, but desperate people do. You see, when we recognize that we are desperate, when we recognize that we are hopeless, that we can't secure our own future, that we can't secure our own satisfaction, that we can't secure our own happiness, and most importantly, we cannot secure our own salvation, then we reach a place of desperation. And when we reach that place, we turn to Jesus and we allow Jesus to do what only Jesus can do. And when we turn to Jesus once in those moments, he's going to give us a reason to turn back to him in gratitude. That's why my sermon in a sentence is this. Turning to Jesus once will give us reason to turn to him again. You see, turning to Jesus once will put control in the hands of the one who is capable. Turning to Jesus once will give us confidence in his plan. And turning to Jesus once will give us the desire to turn back to him in gratitude and worship. Go ahead and open your Bibles or your Bible apps to, uh, to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. We're going to read a story in Luke chapter 17. And this story is going to give us a formula that brings us to Jesus and ultimately leads us to gratitude. Let's read together Luke chapter 17 verses 11 through 13. It says, Now on his way to Jerusalem... Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now these ten men, they've come together and they're suffering from from a, a physical disease called leprosy. And this disease of leprosy would cause physical devastation in their lives. But even more than that, it created a storm of social isolation. You see, they were distanced from others. 
for fear of spread, all of the healthy people would banish these individuals that had leprosy out of their communities, out of their groups of people, out of their communities so that they wouldn't have to risk getting the disease. Kind of puts the whole mask thing in perspective, doesn't it? But see, the, the law actually declared that if, if a healthy person were to come in close proximity to a person with leprosy, the person with leprosy had to cry out, unclean, unclean. You see, this was a humiliating disease that impacted their life in a big way. Now, Jesus finds this group of men, there's 10 of them, and they've come together on the border of Samaria and Galilee. Now, in this group, there's a mix of both groups of people. And what you need to understand is that these two different regions hated one another. I mean, these two different regions were filled with racial hatred and animosity towards one another. In normal circumstances, they coexisted by avoiding one another completely. But in their desperation, in their misery, they've come together as a collective group. You know, I read this past week, it popped up on my Facebook that Burger King posted a tweet. And in that tweet, it encouraged you as a customer to go to McDonald's, to go to Wendy's, to go to Taco Bell, to go to any other restaurant. They said the pandemic has been hard on all of us. We want to encourage you to support businesses like that. Isn't it interesting that these enemies, these people that are in competition with one another in in, the midst of a pandemic, they come together and their unity expresses how desperate they really are. Listen, that's what's happening here. These men are hopeless. They can't purchase their own healing. There's nothing that they can do to earn it. Honestly, they barely even know how to wish for it. But there's something about Jesus. You see, they see Jesus walking, and if it were anybody else, they would have said, can I have food? Can I have money? But instead, they say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And they put their fate in his hands. I want you to write this down or put it in your phone. In the presence of Jesus, surrender outweighs control. Surrender always outweighs control. You see, here's the truth about Christianity. Christianity is not about how much you do, but how much you surrender. What was impossible for these men was possible in the hands of Jesus. How many of you enjoy our worship team here at the church? Anybody? All right, y'all can clap for them, okay? Let them know how much we appreciate them. And that's for the people that are up here on stage. That's for the people that are back in the the sound booth. That's for people that are on all the cameras. But let me tell you what's special about our worship team, okay? They do an incredible job because they know how to use the tools that are in their hands to bring us closer to Jesus. If those same tools were in less capable hands, it would not have the same effect. You see, like if I were to tell Bryce over here on the keyboards, hey, Bryce, why don't you sit out today? I'm going to take over. You guys wouldn't have a very meaningful worship experience. If I came back here to LaRonda and I said, LaRonda, I just want you to sit out this week. Okay, I got this. Give me a microphone. And I started doing this right here. It'd be terrible and we'd clear the whole place in a matter of a few seconds. If I put on the headset in the back and I started to direct all the things that are happening on the screens and all of that stuff, it wouldn't be as good as it is right now. You would miss out on the experience that you've come to love and appreciate. Listen, in the same way, when we fight for control, it's our way of of trying to place our circumstances in the hands of somebody that is so much less capable than Jesus. When we fight for control and we try and hold on to the situations that are plaguing our life and we try and manage those situations, then the control is in the hands of somebody who is weak and feeble and incapable. 
But when we turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm going to surrender. I'm going to place all of my desires, all of my struggles, everything I have in your hands, we place them in the hands of someone that is capable to do amazing things and work in and through us. Listen, I've had the opportunity over the past few weeks to meet with a lot of people. And as I've met with these people, they've shared their story with me. And a lot of these people have shared their story and said, listen, I have been through tragedy. I've been through pain. I've been through hardship. A lot of things have gone wrong in my life. But in the midst of that desperation, in the midst of that hopelessness, I exhausted myself trying to maintain control. But eventually something happened that pushed me over the edge to where I stopped fighting for control. And instead I became desperate enough to give it all up to Jesus. And in giving it to him, I have found peace. Listen, don't miss this. When we try and manufacture our own happiness, our own satisfaction, our own salvation, it's like banging on the elevator button with our foot in the door. But when we embrace our weakness by surrendering to his goodness, we are positioned to win. In order to find hope, we have to embrace surrender. Let's go back to the story. Let's look at verse 14. It says this, when he, meaning Jesus, when he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Have you ever read part of the Bible that caused you to have a lot of questions? This is one of those passages that causes me to have a lot of questions. You see, I look at this and I begin to wonder, why does Jesus send them away? Why does he send them to the priests? What can the priests do that Jesus can't do? Why doesn't Jesus just immediately heal them? Why doesn't he do something supernatural in that moment while they're standing in his presence? These are probably the same questions that the men in the story are are wrestling through in their mind. But all within the context of one verse, they hear Jesus' words, they obey Jesus' words, and they experience the benefits of his presence. I want you to write this down. In the presence of Jesus, obedience outweighs understanding. Every single time, obedience outweighs understanding. My kids are at an age where they're always wanting friends to come over. Last night, I had about 10 preteen girls all sitting around a campfire. Y'all pray for me. <laughs> but they're always asking, can, can we have friends come over? And we often look at them, my wife and I, and we say, is your room clean? And see, in their minds, those two things don't go together. <laughs> In their minds, it doesn't matter how clean or how messy their room is. That's a completely separate issue from whether friends can come over. But whether they understand it or not, here's the hard truth. One will not happen without the other. One will not happen without the other. Here's how that applies to our spiritual lives. Surrender doesn't require comprehension. You see, it's so nice when the two go together. It's so nice when we understand God's plan and why it is he's calling us to do the things he's calling us to do, but that's not essential. Authentic surrender, like the surrender we've just talked about, requires relentless obedience. Rick Warren, pastor of Saddleback Church, he says it this way. He says, instant obedience will teach you more about God than a lifetime of Bible discussions. In fact, you will never understand some commands until you obey them first. Obedience unlocks understanding. Listen, I'm convinced that our relationship with Jesus would be transformed if we just simply do the things that we already know to do. You see, sometimes I, I feel like we, we already know in our hearts what we're supposed to do, but, but we prefer to talk about it instead. It's spiritual to talk about things like this. We prefer to pray about it because that's spiritual. We, we prefer to think about it because that's spiritual, but you want to know what's more spiritual than all those things? 
It's hearing God's word and acting out in obedience even before we understand it all. Listen, there's so many things about God's plan that I just don't understand. Have you read the part about forgiveness? The part about turning the other cheek? What about baptism? It doesn't make any sense why we take a public bath and surrender to Jesus. But it's in those moments that Jesus chooses to show up. It's in those moments that he shows up in our surrender. He shows up in our obedience and he moves in a way that we would never experience if we didn't act out in faith. Listen, that's what these men do. They're all obedient to Jesus. They all take off to do what Jesus has called them to do. And they all experience the physical healing that they've requested. But there's one individual who does something more. One individual who doesn't just experience the healing, but he turns back to Jesus. And because of that decision, he experiences something even more powerful. Let's look at verses 15 through 19. It says, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, we're not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Listen, earlier in the story, this man threw himself at Jesus, but he had to do so from a distance because he was unable to come close in proximity to him. But at this point, he's been healed. And he uses his newfound freedom to throw himself at the feet of Jesus and experience his presence in a deeper and more intimate way. Listen, I don't blame the other nine. The other nine were probably just reuniting with their friends and family. They were probably sharing their story. They're probably enjoying the lives that they thought was out of reach. But one man turned back, and in turning back, he made worship the central part of his story. And as a result, he, ex as a result, he experienced Jesus in a whole new way. Write this down. In the presence of Jesus, worship outweighs works. Worship outweighs works. You see, many people, we experience God at work in our lives, but a lot of times, the ones that benefit the most are the ones who turn back and let that presence trigger an even deeper relationship with him. You see, many people, they associate Christianity with doing the right things, with checking off the right boxes. And that's good. That stuff is important. We just spent the first two-thirds of the sermon talking about why that matters and why we need to embrace it. But here's something I want you to understand. It is possible to do all the right things and still miss Jesus. The most important thing, the best thing, is that we turn back and thank Him for His presence in our lives. In what ways has Jesus blessed your life? In what ways has he shown up and provided transformation and change that you wouldn't have experienced in any other way? In what ways have you shown strength and resilience that you know was beyond your capabilities? That was the presence of Jesus at work in you. Receive that as a gift, but then turn back and thank him for it. You see, a life marked by gratitude takes us closer to Jesus Christ than ever before. We started the sermon this way. We said turning to Jesus once gives us reason to turn to him again. Why? Because we understand when we turn to Jesus that he is capable. We understand when we turn to Jesus that he really is in control. And we learn when we turn to Jesus that he is worthy of all of our praise. As a community of believers, let's turn to Jesus and let him do what only he can do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... 
We just simply want to say thank you. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for us. Thank you for showing up in our lives in so many ways. God, thank you for being the one that we can turn to when nothing else in this world works. Thank you for giving us hope, for salvation, for new beginnings. God, thank you so much for your presence in our life. God, I pray that as we lean into that presence, as we lean into all that you've done for us, God, I pray that you motivate us as a church, as a body of believers to come together and say, we are going to be marked by gratitude. We're not going to forget about these things that you've done for us, but we are going to turn to you, praise your name, and make worship the central part of our story. We love you. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, listen, we don't find out until the end of the story that the hero of the story, outside of Jesus, was a Samaritan. You see, the Bible tells us that the, the one who Jesus praised for doing what was right, for doing what was best, was a Samaritan. And that may not mean anything to you now, but back when they first heard this story, back when they first witnessed it firsthand, that would have been a big deal. Because nobody would have believed that a Samaritan could be labeled the hero of a story. Nobody would have believed that a Samaritan could be the one that Jesus points to and says, this is the model that I want you to follow. But in responding to that individual, here's what Jesus said. Jesus essentially said in everything that happened in that story, he said, I don't care who you are. I don't care how the world identifies you. I don't care what you've been through. What matters is that you turn to me in this moment. That you make a decision to surrender your life to me. That you make a decision to give me control. That you make a decision to be obedient to me. That you make a decision to praise my name. Listen, wherever you are today, whatever it is that's weighing on your heart, whatever it is you've been working through this week, whatever challenges are on your heart and on your mind, I want you to know something. It doesn't matter who you were before you came in these doors. It doesn't matter what everybody at work knows you as. It doesn't matter what decisions you've made in the past. What matters right now is that you make a decision to follow Jesus and surrender yourself to him. Maybe you need to do that just by spending a few minutes during this song, praising him with everything you've got. Listen, I believe maybe there's somebody here who hasn't been baptized. And you said, you know what? That's a step of faith that God has placed on my heart. I know I need to do it, but I haven't pulled that trigger yet. Listen, whatever God's placing on your heart, I believe that your life will change and be transformed if you'll be obedient, if you'll turn to him. Y'all stand up. We're going to sing together. Thanks for listening to this message. You can keep up with what's happening at Northridge on your mobile device through our Northridge Christian app. If you have any questions about Northridge, you can contact us at info at